0: As I talk about cellular respiration, you should have your chart out so that you can follow along. Cellular respiration starts with glycolysis. Um, That occurs out in the cytoplasm of the cell. Now, really, there are tons and tons of these molecules flying around randomly, even though in your chart it shows a linear progression. So when you start with glucose that has been absorbed from the bloodstream, diffuses into the cell, into the cytoplasm, Uh, The glucose originally gets broken down in a series of steps. Now, at the beginning of this, we have kind of an energy investment phase, the first half of glycolysis. There are two ATPs that are going to be used initially in breaking down glucose. Um, The first step involves taking glucose to glucose 6-phosphate. In that first stage, there's an enzyme called hexokinase, that actually takes ATP and using the phosphate group from that ATP phosphorylates the glucose molecule and adds that phosphate group up at the top. Then in another step, um, that molecule gets rearranged by another enzyme and then you wind up with fructose 6-phosphate. Another ATP is used in that next step along with the enzyme phosphofructokinase to form fructose 1,6-bisphosphate. All that complicated molecular formula there um, and the name that we have for that just says that it's a fructose and it actually has two phosphate groups, one on the first carbon, one on the sixth carbon. Now, we still have a six carbon molecule. We've used ATP twice Um, in the process. So we don't have any energy. As a matter of fact, it's taken some energy to get to this point. In the next step, an enzyme called aldolase actually breaks the six carbon molecule into two three carbon molecules. Now both of those three carbon molecules are isomers of one another. They have the same molecular formula, the same chemicals in there, but they're arranged slightly differently. Only one of those two is um, metabolically active in the cell. Meaning only the glyceraldehyde phosphate actually goes on in glycolysis. The other molecule cannot go on in glycolysis. However, once the glyceraldehyde phosphate is used up and, and gets transformed into the next uh, product, then the other isomer that was not used actually gets converted over with an enzyme called isomerase into glyceraldehyde phosphate. So, really, the net effect is that you get two glyceraldehyde phosphates for every one glucose. Now, the glyceraldehyde phosphate goes on um, to be rearranged and to be phosphorylated again by another enzyme. In the next step in the process, NAD plus picks up two electrons and a hydrogen Um, Ion from the glyceraldehyde phosphate. So we have NADH formed. That NADH is going to then go on and diffuse across into the mitochondria to be used in the electron transport chain. In the next step, um, we have another enzyme that is going to take the resulting molecule and make ATP from that. So ADP picks up one of the phosphate groups that was put on in the previous step. We go through a series of other steps as you follow along in your chart until we finally get down to the last step of glycolysis. Um, In that step, pyruvate is formed by an enzyme called pyruvate kinase. In the process of forming the pyruvate, um, the pyruvate kinase actually facilitates an ATP being formed by ripping off the phosphate group that was on the previous molecule and attaching it to an ADP. So, the net effect, we get two net gains of ATP molecules from this process, and we get two pyruvate molecules, all from one single glucose. Now, so far, not too much energy has actually been captured from this molecule. Only two ATPs from substrate-level phosphorylation Um, However, the pyruvate... Oh, and don't forget, we also have uh, a couple of NADHs that are also formed um, halfway through glycolysis as well. Those NADHs are not used directly for energy. However, they're going to be used in the electron transport chain. The pyruvate now is going to go into and diffuse into the mitochondria. In the process of going in there, there's actually uh, a few enzymes that modify this pyruvate. Uh, A CO2 is taken off, an NADH is formed for each pyruvate, as well as a coenzyme A being added to the molecule. Finally, we wind up with the the acetyl-CoA. And the acetyl-CoA is going to be our first molecule that is used in the Krebs cycle. Now, this Krebs cycle occurs within the matrix of the mitochondria in the fluid-filled center. Um, the acetyl-CoA combines with another molecule floating around, and they're called oxaloacetate. These two molecules will form citrate um, as a result. Now, it, sometimes we actually refer to this whole thing as the citric acid cycle instead of the Krebs cycle because of that citrate that's formed between the, uh, the acetyl-CoA and the oxaloacetate. There's going to be a whole series of steps that occur, a whole cycle here, where the molecules are rearranged um, and (coughs) uh, carbons are ripped off and uh, hydrogens are ripped off and so forth. So as the citrate continues through the cycle, um, the first thing that's going to happen is that carbon dioxide gas is going to be formed as the carbon and oxygens are taken off of the molecules. On that same step, NADH is also formed. The resulting molecule from that goes on to another step in which more CO2 is taken off, more NADH is formed. In the following step, you'll notice that um, the resulting molecule um, is actually um, forms GTP from GDP. In that case, the GTP, the guanosine triphosphate, then in turn phosphorylates ADP to form ATP. It sounds complicated, but it's just a two-step process in which a single ATP is formed. As we continue around the cycle, you'll notice that an FAD gets transformed into FADH. Um, This is a step in which more electrons are actually captured by the FADH2 molecule. Now these electrons, as we're going to find out later, actually are at a lower energy level than the electrons that are captured by the NADH. Um, That means that they have less free energy, which which will be important when we look at the electron transport chain. As the products continue through the cycle, some water is added, um, we wind up with malate, and then finally, in the last step of the of the cycle, an, another an NADH is formed, um, bringing us back to our oxaloacetate. Now in that whole Krebs cycle, um, you'll notice that carbons are lost from molecules, and um, NADHs are formed, a single ATP is formed from pho- substrate level phosphorylation, and FADH2 is formed, and then finally another NADH. So each time the Krebs cycle goes around, we wind up with three NADHs formed, one FADH2, and one ATP. Of course, the Krebs cycle goes around twice for every one glucose, since we have two pyruvates formed from each glucose, and therefore two acetyl-CoA molecules. So for each glucose, we wind up with a grand total of six NADH molecules in the Krebs cycle, two FADH2s, and two ATPs. Now, so far, with glycolysis in the Krebs cycle, we have some NADHs that have been formed and have actually captured electrons, um, and some FADH2s. Those are going to be diffusing throughout the mitochondria and they're going to wind up going to the electron transport chain, which is a whole series of proteins located in the inner mitochondrial, mitochondrial membrane. Um, this, these proteins are actually going to be lined up in such a way that electrons can cascade from one protein to another to an- another. <clears throat> At the first protein, the NADH will drop off its electrons to form NAD+. Once those electrons are dropped off, they actually fall figuratively from a higher free energy to a lower free energy. This particular reaction can actually be utilized by the cell in order to pump protons across the membrane. In all of the proteins that are in that membrane, there are proton pumps that actually pump them from a lower concentration to a higher concentration from inside the matrix to the inner membrane space. So by pumping these protons into the inner membrane space, we build up a higher concentration in that particular compartment. Um, that higher concentration of protons leads to a, a basically an electrochemical gradient, or what we call a chemiosmotic gradient. In that case, since each NADH pumps three protons across the membrane. That means three protons will go flying back down through another enzyme called ATP synthase. This enzyme actually moves and catalyzes reactions in such a way that for each proton that comes back through it into the matrix of the mitochondria, we're going to have an ATP formed from that process. So, each NADH that was made in the Krebs cycle or in glycolysis will go on to pump three protons and therefore make three ATPs. Now, the electrons that go through this series of proteins in the membrane and through the electron transport chain are actually drawn to the oxygen that we breathe in and that diffuses into our cells. The atmospheric oxygen actually is highly electronegative. So it, along with protons or hydrogen ions in the matrix of the mitochondria, will combine with the electrons that are flying down through the electron transport chain, and they're going to ultimately form water. Now don't forget, there were also some FADH2s that were formed during the Krebs cycle as well. And I had mentioned that the electrons don't have quite as much free energy as they did with the electrons of the NADH. So instead of being dropped off at the first protein in the electron transport chain, it's going to be dropped off a little further down, right about where the Q is on your chart. When it's dropped off at that protein um, in the electron transport chain uh, with a little bit lower free energy, that means that the FADH2s are only going to pump across ACE2 protons um, in the electron transport chain which means that they're ultimately only going to make two ATPs. So each FADH2 ultimately produces two ATPs um, with the ATP synthase. So as you can see, if you add up all of your NADHs, and if you add up all of your FADH2s, and then you translate that into ATPs that are made by oxidative phosphorylation um, in the electron transport chain, you'll see that 34 ATPs are made in that process, as opposed to 4 ATPs that are made cumulatively net between glycolysis and the Krebs cycle. So you get a lot more energy out of that glucose once it's, um, the NADHs migrate to the electron transport chain. As you're studying your respiration charts, I want you to pay close attention to where ATPs are used, where ATPs get formed, at which steps. Also, where NADHs are produced, and where NADHs are used. Where FADH2s are produced, and where they're used, and how the molecules are cycled between the FADH2 and the FAD, or between the NADHs and the NAD+. pluses. I also want you to pay close attention to certain enzymes and certain steps and what's happening with those. Um, for example, um, pay attention to enzymes like phosphofructokinase. Um, that's a key uh, enzyme when we talk about regulation of glycolysis. Um, also things enzymes like aldolase uh, that splits the 6-carbon molecule into 2-3 carbon molecules in glycolysis. Or isomerase that switches between the two isomers right after that. You should also um, take a look at, in terms of uh, products of the different reactions, you don't need to know all the intermediate product names, um, but you should know some major ones. Obviously, we're starting with glucose. Um, You should also be very familiar with uh, glyceraldehyde phosphate um, that will come into play later on. Um, Another name for glyceraldehyde phosphate is phosphoglyceraldehyde. So sometimes textbooks call that PGAL, or phosphoglyceraldehyde. That's the exact same thing as glyceraldehyde phosphate. Obviously, you should know that we wind up with pyruvate. Um, And in the Krebs cycle, you don't need to to know the names of all the intermediates. I would make sure that you know about uh, acetyl-CoA. That would be a a major step. Um, But know where carbon dioxide is coming off in the Krebs cycle as well. Now, everything we just talked about with glycolysis and the Krebs cycle, and electron transport chain, assumed that the cell had enough oxygen. However, if the cell does not have oxygen, then the electron transport chain is not going to function, and therefore you're going to have a buildup of other molecules, um, and everything's going to start to get backed up. The bottom line is everything that happens inside of the mitochondria will start to shut down without the oxygen because there's no draw for the electrons. And therefore, the NADHs can't get transformed back into NAD+, and so forth. So, instead of the pyruvate entering into the mitochondria, the pyruvate will be used out in the cytoplasm. Um, And in order to continue on with glycolysis, you need to have NAD+, Uh, recycled from NADH, because the NADHs are going to build up if they're not being used in the electron transport chain. So the whole purpose of fermentation is to allow glycolysis to continue. Now, there's very little energy gain from that. Remember, we only get a net gain of two ATPs from every glucose. But if your mitochondria are not working properly because your muscles, for example, are oxygen-deprived while you're sprinting, well, at least you're getting two ATPs out of the deal. So the whole purpose of fermentation is to recycle NADHs back into NAD+. Therefore, they can be used in one of those middle steps of glycolysis to continue the process and get some ATP. Um, if it, In our muscles, um, lactic acid is formed as a result of that. Um, if you were a yeast um, Alcohol would be formed from that, and some CO2 gas would be given off. Um, but either way, uh, you'd wind up with uh, NADHs recycled into NAD+. and Just let glycolysis continue.